0: Today, Transformers The Last Night comes out to theaters. I'll be talking about Transformers from 2007. For the podcast Arcade Network this week, we are doing Alien Week. So what more could it be, but Transformers are definitely aliens. So in honor of that, I'm talking about Transformers the movie. I'll be talking about the cast the crew, the background, the robots, and of course, the excellent soundtrack that exists. All today on Soundtrack Alley. The last night coming out in theaters today. Let's talk about Transformers the movie, and we can begin with the talking about some of the cast from the film first. So, uh, I can't believe that I'm here right now. You can duck down if you want. I mean, it won't hurt my feelings. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean here with you. I just meant here, like in this situation. Oh. This, Same situation that I'm always in, because I don't know, I guess I just have a a weakness for hot guys, for for tight abs and and really big arms. Big arms? Well, uh, there's a couple new additions in the car. Like, I just put in that light there, and that disco ball. So the light reflects off the disco ball. Yeah. Are you you new to school this year? It's your first year? Uh, Oh, no, no. Uh, we've been in the same school since first grade. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah, a long time. Well, do do you have any classes together? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe History, which... language arts, math, science. Sam. Sam. Yeah. Sam Wilkie. Wit, Wiki. Yeah. you know what? I'm so sorry. I did. No, it's cool. I just didn't recognize you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's understandable. According to Megan Fox, uh, she was attending a Lincoln Park concert, and when it was over. The band met her personally and stated that they heard about the live-action Transformers film and requested whether they could have their songs in the film. Now, that's like the Linkin Park song, What Have I Done, appears in the closing credits. Uh, In her role as Michaela Baines, uh, Megan Fox gained 10 pounds of muscle to be more compatible for the action scenes. In the Battle of Mission City, Michaela and Bumblebee use a GMC tow truck. This is a tribute to the Autobot uh, Longarm, whose alternate mode in the Transformers original movie in 1984 was a tow truck. The character Michaela Baines is actually named after Michael Bay. Who knew? Executive producer Steven Spielberg and Shia LaBeouf are fans of Bumblebee. Megan Fox prefers Starscream, and Josh Duhamel likes Ironhide. And Tyrese Gibson, he favors Optimus Prime. All four of these are seen in the animated series and in the film, while Michael Bay's favorite is Bone Crusher, as seen in the film. Let's talk a little bit about Shia LaBeouf. Michaela! It's Sam! R- Ricky, I hope you didn't get you stranded or anything. You sure? So listen, I was wondering if I could ride you home. I mean, uh, give you a ride home in my car to your house. Shia LaBeouf's first scene filmed was where Sam was attacked by guard dogs. Uh, one particularly fierce dog kept chasing him even after the scene was shot. He later summed it up as, Welcome to Michael Bay's set. Uh, release the hounds. Uh, Shia LaBeouf was so amazed with the project, uh, he later summed it up as Project Iceman and the set that he would secretly visit uh, on the weekend, sometimes bringing his friends along. Not necessarily the greatest effort. Uh, Sam's eBay name, Ladiesman217, refers to Michael Bay's birthday, February 17th. The eBay name was an actual username with the last activity at the same date the movie was released. To prepare for his role as Sam Witwicky, as he appears in the Transformers universe, before there had only been male Witwickys, Spike and his father Sparkplug, from the Transformers in 1984. Spike's wife, Carly, doesn't really count for it which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, Several times you can see Shia LaBeouf's stump double, if you look closely, such as when he's flipped over after crashing his bike in front of Michaela. Uh, Michael Bay at first thought Shia LaBeouf was too old to play a teenager, having seen his performance in Constantine. But LaBeouf, with a makeover and audition, convinced the filmmakers that he could indeed appear younger than he actually was. For the scene where Megatron corners Sam at the top of the building, um, Sam clings to a statue out of sheer fright fright and panic. And Shia LaBeouf was actually on the top of that building wearing a safety harness, but with no safety net beneath him. And so his terror was actually real. Uh, let's get into some of the technical aspects of the film. To keep the film realistic and under budget, the U.S. Department of Defense provided their support toward the film's production, the largest project they have assisted since Black Hawk Down. Uh, The military provided their vehicles as the alternate modes of the Decepticons, uh, Starscream, and Bone Crusher. They also allowed their F-22 and CV-22 aircraft to be filmed, the first time these planes had been seen in a feature film since Hulk back in 2003. Soldiers served as extras, and authentic uniforms were provided for the actors. In return for the favor, the filmmakers provided an advanced screening of the film to the soldiers free of charge. Peter Cullen, the original voice of Optimus Prime, described reprising his role as slipping into an old pair of very comfortable shoes that you haven't worn for a while and was grateful uh, for wanting and bringing him back. Uh, To make the cars appear sentient, stunt drivers wore black, balaclavas and concealed themselves from view Uh, and wherever possible the cars were also given tinted windows and had their interiors darkened so that way you couldn't see the people driving according to the ilm animators each and every transformation in the film is unique even if carried out by the same robot. With thousands of components moving around in significantly different orders, sequences, and via different routes around the body. Uh, this was because the tr- robots transform in a fluid, instinctive manner depending on their circumstances, such as the speed, terrain, and intent of action. He's busy. <laughs> However, the animators also admit that each transformation was mainly animated to look interesting and believable. Bumblebee's original alternative mode in the Transformers in 1984 was a Volkswagen Beetle, but this was revised in 2009 to become a Camaro. This was because Michael Bay wanted to avoid comparisons with Herbie the Love Bug and felt that the Camaro had a more tough but friendly quality than the Beetle. As a tribute to the series, an old yellow Volkswagen Beetle appears next to Bumblebee at the auto dealership as a joke that he damages it. Uh, in the film, Megatron does not choose an alternate mode, choosing out of arrogance not to disguise himself on Earth. He instead maintains his alien protoform and he is original alternative mode in the Transformers was this giant pistol, uh, but the riders felt that having Darth Vader transform into his own lightsaber and someone else swinging him around, it didn't make him very menacing. As the Decepticons pilot holograms flicker, Optimus Prime's face can be seen for just an instant, which is kind of different in that respect. The Decepticons were to have more dialogue in the film, but most of their lines were cut out to keep them mysterious. Uh, The screenwriter, Roberto Orsi, reasoned that the more a villain talks, the less threatening they are. To please the fans, though, Megatron's classic berating of Starscream, You fail me yet again, Starscream, uh, was put back into the film. The Decepticons were to have Uh, a lot more dialogue than what they did. And uh, the Transformers, they in general possess such a rich level of detail and complexity, it took the ILM animators 38 hours to fill them in a single frame of film. Now, Michael Bay originally wanted an Apple iPod uh, for Simon's demonstration in the AllSpark chamber. But Apple CEO Steve Jobs objected to the use of one of his project products, and so the Nokia cell phone was used instead. To keep up with the film's frenetic mood, most of the action sequences were shot practically, with the actors performing their stunts live on camera. Uh, All computer graphics imagery was restricted only to the robot's certain essential scenes. Uh, due to the intensity of the action, a majority of car crashes and explosions, the camera was kept in a box of bulletproof glass, which is kind of cool. Uh, Shia LaBeouf later quipped, The camera is protected, but the actors are expendable. Uh, veteran voice actor Frank Welker, who voiced the Decepticon leader Megatron uh, in the Transformers in 1984, was approached to reprise his role but he turned it down due to conflicts with other projects and michael bay felt that the voice was too light for megatron's new beastly look and so hugo weaving uh, took the role of megatron that is something i did not know welker would also go on to voice several decepticons in the sequels notably megatron's new body galvatron in Transformers Age of Extinction and returning to voice Megatron in Transformers The Last Night that comes out today. Uh, the sequence where Bone Crusher smashes a bus in half was an actual stunt performed or filmed live. Uh, the bus was constructed with a split line and had cables built in, which held the bus together where they were cut off as well as explosives and cannons, which were used to blow the bus apart. That's kind of cool. Prior to shooting the scene where the Autobots intercept the Sector 7 convoy, an extra, the driver of the car where Sam and Michaela are being held, worried that he was going to be injured when the agents are being disarmed by Jazz. Michael Bay assured him that no harm would come to them, as the guns would be quickly pulled away by bungee cords and were made of rubber but during shooting a rubber gun stuck the extra or struck the extra on his temple and it was pulled away causing him to wince in pain it can be seen in the film they could only give a sheepish apology for the extra's misfortune this was the first feature film to feature the hoover dam and the Pentagon, since September 11, 2001, attacks. While the Hoover Dam wasn't attacked, security around it has been fortified since then. In the film, the the name Autobot stands for Autonomous Robotic Organism. In the series, the Autobots were so-called because their alternate modes were automobiles. The military aircraft seen in the film did not fire a single shot during filming. All their shots were created through CGI, which is very interesting. The Transformers were designed so that their faces and their bodies uh, would resemble the symbol of their faction. Uh, The Autobots, especially Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, and Ratchet, were modeled according to the Autobot face and the Decepticons, especially with uh, Megatron and Barricade and Blackout, were modeled according to the Decepticon face. Michael Bay spent most of the film's $150 million budget on 15 practical action sequences, making sure the visual effects aspects of the film did not overwhelm the live action elements. Steven Spielberg suggested that the writers in the central storyline of A Boy and His Car and reach each of their drafts and take notes uh, to improve the story. And Steven Spielberg also encouraged Michael Bay to film most of the stunts live and to keep the use of CGI to a strict minimum. In the scene where Secretary of Defense Keller, which was the character played by John Voight, and other military personnel are walking briskly through the tunnel, the man on his left, who is listed in the credits as a four-star general, is Stephen Ford. Now that is the son of US President Gerald Ford. Now let's get into some of the Transformers themselves. Where is the cube? The humans have taken it! Charlie Adler voices the evil Decepticon plane Starscream in the film. He had earlier voiced the heroic Autobot playing Silverbot, Silverbolt uh, in the Transformers in 1984. This, far, this film holds the record for the biggest opening week of a non-sequel with $152.5 million dollars. The former record holder was Spider-Man back in 2002 with $151.6 million. To save money, uh, the filmmakers entered into a production deal with General Motors, saving about $3 million. The company provided the alternate modes of the Autobots. In fact, they provided three versions of each car in the event that some of them would crash and also provided around 200 cars that were blown up in the battle of Mission City. Although Scorponic uh, is the only robot in the film that does not transform, the center of his body appears to be a General Electric T-64 turboshaft engine, Uh, and his forearms are partly shaped from the side exhaust such as his master Blackout was a helicopter, and this would mean he would be one of Blackout's engines. Uh, A sign in the AllSpark chamber reads, the last accident happened here 322 days ago. Michael Bay considered filming this accident as his flashback, which would also show how the claw marks appeared on the chamber walls, but decided to scrap it in favor of a present demonstration by Simmons. Peter Cullen, he actually wants to own one of the Peterbilt trucks that served as Optimus Prime. And according to Lorenzo Bonaventura, during the designing of the Transformers, as a test, Optimus Prime was first designed in CGI in his classic boxy look from Transformers in 1984. But he looked fake and boring. And so the robots were designed in a more intricate, three-dimensional image uh, to be more realistic and to reflect their alien origins. (laughs) The major influences in these designs were real-world physics. Each robot matches the size of its chosen disguise. The Rubik's Cube, numerous pieces moving to convert one thing to another, and samurai armor going back to the toy line's Japanese origins. Uh, Throughout the film, Bumblebee communicates using his radio in a manner reminiscent of the Junkians, denizens of the planet Junk, featured in the Transformers, the movie. Now, they spoke entirely in the form of television broadcasts, and some of the notable transmissions was one, the voice of Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek, where she says, message from Starfleet, and then the line across the inanimate vastness of space. It was taken from Orson Welles' infamous 1939 radio broadcast, The War of the Worlds, a phrase from a sermon, angels from heaven, and in Japan, the Transformers are known as a super god robot force, A line by John Wayne from El Dorado. Wayne's voice has long been associated with the influence on Peter Cullen's voice for Optimus Prime. And this was the highest grossing film in Malaysia. Grossing about $5.2 million in just that one country. Uh, Ratchet's alternate mode is a Hummer H2. And it was a search and rescue vehicle and this vehicle is an original Hummer built from scratch for the film and modified to have a sturdier build. The vehicle is also painted green to give it its distinct look, although Ratchet, the toy, uh, is in his classic form of red and white. The soldiers at the beginning of the film are seen in a Bell Boeing CV-22 Osprey, tilt rotor aircraft. Now, originally, they were to be shown returning home in a Humvee, but during filming, Michael Bay saw and requested to use the newly arrived CV-22s instead. A unique feature is that its rotators, or the rotors, tilt, and so it can change between a helicopter and an airplane. With this ability to change modes, it is, in essence, a real-life Transformer. As part of the film's promotional campaign, sidewalk artist Julian Beaver was commissioned to create a sidewalk advertisement for the film. Beaver used props and models to give the ad a three-dimensional look and said it was one of his most difficult accomplishments. This ad can be seen in New York City. The Griffith Observatory is a private area and its authorities were initially reluctant about allowing shooting to go on with the film. However, the filmmakers were able to get permission through its officials, Leonard Nimoy and Susan Bay. Now that was Nimoy's wife, whom Michael Bay is related to, uh, to shoot the Autobots' arrival to Earth and their council. Nimoy had voiced Megatron's successor, Galvatron, in the Transformers movie in 1986, and went on to voice Optimus Prime's predecessor, Sentinel Prime, in Dark of the Moon. When we look at Optimus Prime and his movements and the way he walks, uh, they were modeled after Liam Neeson. When Frenzy transforms into the CD player after shooting his disc, the display of the CD player reads, no disc. Uh, Sam's ancestor, Captain Archibald Whitwicky, is seen in a news article in the, new, in the Air Force One computer, referred to as Captain Witwicky Edmondson. This is in reference to Ronald Admondson, a famed polar explorer who embarked on various expeditions to the Antarctic region. Mark Ryan claims that he didn't know the lines he recorded for Bumblebee would actually be used in the film. And had he been informed of that, he would have given Bumblebee a younger sounding voice. Uh, Rachel Taylor uh, is a pacifist and wasn't enthusiastic about starring in what is fundamentally a war film, but to her surprise, she had really a lot of fun filming. Uh, The Transformers official slogan, more than meets the eye, as it was in the film, it appeared twice in the film. Uh, Firstly, when Sam is talking uh, to Michaela inside Bumblebee, And secondly, when Optimus Prime makes his transmission at the end of the film. Uh, The two uh, Decepticons in the film are named Bone Crusher, the mind clearing vehicle, and Devastator, the tank. They were named after two members of the Constructicons, a faction of Decepticons in the Transformers movie 1984. Uh, who took the form of construction vehicles and who could combine into a larger robot. The Constructicons would appear in the second film, though some names necessarily had to be changed. Now, according to Michael Bay, the key to making the robots look real was lighting. Each and every component of the robots had to reflect light like real metal. Uh, Photographs of each set were taken to use as a lighting reference to recreate the scene with the robots, an extensive use of ray tracing, which is a light reflection technique, was carried out. However, there were several variety of light sources, optics, headlights, lamps, sunlight, etc., which had to reflect off a variety of surfaces, which had different textures. Uh, which made ray tracing an arduous task to perform. The transformation sound from Transformers 1984 is heard on five occasions in this very movie. Uh, When Blackout transforms at the Saucon base, uh, when Bumblebee transforms to catch a falling Sam and Michaela, the Nokia phone becomes a Transformer, after exposure to the AllSpark, uh, when Ironhide and Blackout transform in the Battle of Mission City, and when Starscream flies into space at the very end of the movie. The Transformers were created with a mix of computer graphics imagery from Industrial Light & Magic and Digital Domain, uh, and props from KNBFX. The props built include the miniature Allspark, uh, Optimus Prime's head, chest, and foot, Megatron's legs and claws, uh, Barricade's pop out sensors, Blackout's feet, Bone Crusher's claw, Scorpanox's head and tail, a 17 foot model of Bumblebee, and a four foot model of Frenzy, the later three in life size. While ILM designed 75% of the 630 shots in the film, uh, Digital Domain domain, uh, handled the remaining 25%, which include the Arctic discovery of Megatron, Frenzy's animated head, the machines mutated by the AllSpark, and the Autobots' protoforms. A soldier in the film is named George, George Figura. This is in red, reference to Don Figura, a writer and illustrator for the Transformers comics, which are actually still being produced. Interesting thought is in close-up shots, the Transformers are sped up, and in wide shots, they are shown in slow motion. This gives them weight to their movements, as well as making them look cool. Uh, the ILM animators also watched footage of martial arts fights, getting an idea to pre- portray the Transformers' movements as graceful and organic as possible. Now Don Murphy, he brought in Tom DeSanto to write the plot and impressed with the way that DeSanto had managed the many characters and storylines in X-Men. DeSanto, a big fan of the series in childhood, carried out extensive research on the Transformers, and he held several meetings with the comic writer Simon Furman, and he invited fans to discuss the film on Murphy's online message board. His treatment explored the Transformers' existence and history, as well as the real possibilities and consequences of their war on our world. Similar to a disaster film, which was what Murphy wanted the film to resemble. In Japan, the Transformers animated series was presented as a prequel to this film. Thus, that shows Transformers are seen as a young version of the movie Transformers. While most of the characters are similar, the character of like Bulkhead uh, is treated as a young Ironhide. Uh, This is only in Japan, though, and everywhere else the animated and movie versions are kept separate. An aerial attack uh, Star Scream carries out, jumping on a jet and flipping over, was a jet judo, a martial arts scene in the Transformers in 1984. On the movie's characters, we see that these toys feature new automorph technology where moving parts of a toy in Transformations allowed some of the other parts to shift automatically. This marks a rare time when Transformers toys are designed after the character in the fiction, whereas normally the toys are designed first. Uh, Rock star Stan Bush, who composed the soundtrack for the Transformers, the movie, uh, back in 1986, composed a song for this film, but there wasn't any suitable place to put it inside the film. The working title for this film uh, and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is Prime Directive. This was the name of DreamWorks Productions' first Transformers comic book, but it also had an edict mentioned in Star Trek in 1966, which emphasizes avoiding interference, harmful or otherwise, in alien civilizations, which the Transformers obviously breach. In making the dialogue for the film more natural, the writers got closely involved during the post-production and wrote additional dialogues for the actors and for the Transformers. The Autobot Prowl, who transformed into a police car, was in the original script, but the writers and Michael Bay loved the idea of an evil police car, and so the character was altered to become Barricade. Uh, Michael Bay described the tone of this film as the seven samurai fused with close encounters of the third kind and charged with 85 mile an hour fight scenes. As the Decepticons mobilize, Blackout calls out All Hail Megatron and IDW Comics released a series in late 2008 entitled All Hail Megatron. Now, Simon Furman who had written the Transformers comics in the U.K. and the U.S., collaborated with the screenwriters to produce a graphic novel, saying it was called Transformers Prequel, which chronicled the events that led to the classic Autobots and Decepticon war back on Cybertron and serves as a prequel to the events that occurred in the film. This story can be seen as a bonus feature in the Walmart DVD Transformers: Beginnings. When the film was announced in 2005, it was released by DreamWorks in the U.S. and by Paramount and internally or internationally. Early in pre-production, Viacom, Paramount's owner, also acquired DreamWorks, giving the longer-established studio full ownership of the film, indicated by the use of Paramount's logo at the end of the U.S. release instead of the DreamWorks logo. And Paramount's involvement came because, at the time, Hasbro had licensed DVD rights to some of the more recent animated productions, such as Transformers Energon and Transformers Cybertron, to Paramount. And so, beginning with the second sequel of this film, the Transformers movies would solely be presented by Paramount, as DreamWorks became independent again in 2008 and left behind its library at Paramount. Uh, Megatron, he was originally going to be streamlined with a helmet designed based on his classic buckethead look back in 1984. However, the filmmakers decided it wasn't menacing enough, and so passed the head design to Starscream and gave Megatron a more jagged and crowned design. The helmet design would later evolve into Megatron's design for Transformers The Last Knight, which hopefully you'll see this weekend. The Autobot Jazz's robot form was based on the 1984 toy comic book and cartoon version from his chest plate and eye visor. Also, his transformation to vehicle mode was similar to the pilot episode of Transformers. Uh, When Bumblebee switches to his updated version and is in robot form, the stripes on the doors and his chest overlap to form the Chevy symbol. Now, in the film, the Decepticons outnumber the Autobots 8 to 5. This was a deliberate move upon the writers to emphasize the Autobots' teamwork and the threat that Decepticons pose to the world. The film's last scene, where Starscream flees into space, and this is a tribute move by the writers uh, to show that it's during the credits of the original Transformers in 1984, which featured a scene where Starscream and his teammates Skywarp and Thundercracker Uh, blasting off into space. Uh, When Optimus Prime takes on Megatron in their climatic showdown, he states that one shall stand and one shall fall. Prime told Megatron the same thing when they clashed back in 1984. In that feature though, Prime is the one that fell. Well, in this film, it's definitely Megatron. According to Michael Bay, uh, the Battle of Mission City did not expose the Transformers to the world. Everybody has gone ahead. It's realistic. Two weeks after the 2004 tsunami, nobody talked about it anymore, and it's very weird. We decided to do the same with the Transformers. The government talks about a military thing, says it's all false and it's a joke, and people don't know what they really saw. Well, (laughs) while Mojo, the dog, pees on Ironhide's foot, he makes a comment about that's going to rust. And in Transformers Dark of the Moon, Ironhide dies uh, by Sentinel Prime's rust gun. At the end of the film, the remains of the fallen Decepticons are dumped into the Laurentian Abyss in the Atlantic Ocean. Ironically, in 1984, the Decepticons had as their lair an underground abyss. So now, let's get into some of the aspects of the soundtrack. Uh, Steve Jablonski was assisted by his mentor, Hans Zimmer, in composing the musical score for this very film. Now, Steve Jablonski has gone on to do several various different projects that have really improved his way of doing things and he's gotten his own style for the movies that he's composed for. He's had a wide range of themes for this very film, and as the series has progressed, he's increased the size of the score and the orchestra to include some very frenetic action cues. So what I'd like to begin with is with Autobots, Sam's Theme, and Deciphering the Signal. These really set up the film and give us our lead characters. So now I'll play those tracks. Next, I've got Scorponok, Arrival to Earth, Autobots to the Rescue, and the AllSpark. This really gives us our epic feel to the action of the Autobots versus the Decepticons and their struggle for dominance on the planet that is not their own. I really love how Steve Jablonski really amps up the action for these cues and yet still keeps things simple enough with the cues showing us the different elements of the score to heighten the action that we see. So now, let's play those cues. We've come down to another end of an episode of Soundtrack Alley. For the last set of cues that I'd like to play, I'd like to play "You're a Soldier Now," Sam in the building, surreal Michaela, Sam on the roof, and then "No Sacrifice, No Victory" to end our show. I'd like to also thank Jillian Orwall for my great theme today. I'd also like to tell you where you can find my podcast. You can find it on Podbean, on iTunes, on Google Play, Amazon Alexa, and other media outlets soon to come, such as YouTube. I'm working on that one. So until next time, happy listening and watch the sky for aliens. Enjoy. you for listening to soundtrack alley the podcast i hope you take some time to review me, my podcast on itunes and also listen to it on podbeam and if you leave a review or rating on there it'll help us get noticed on itunes thank you so much have a good day Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at SoundtrackAlley.com.